Hi, I'm Ian Irving and welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. Today we're bringing you an episode from our women's football pod as host Kate Borsay is joined by former England international Laura Bassett and author Carrie Dunn right after the final whistle of England's opening game of Euro 2022 against Austria at Old Trafford last night. Give it a listen, I hope you enjoy it and if you do, simply search for the Athletic Women's Football Podcast and hit the subscribe button to keep right up to date with the Lionesses throughout the tournament and beyond. The Athletic Lauren Hill So difficult to stop! Hello and welcome to the Athletic Women's Football Podcast Euros edition. Coming up, hemp to the left, me to the right. England kick off with a win. Just the Green and White Army get ready to head into battle and Alexia's ACL disaster. It's Kate Borsay here on this as we record Wednesday the 6th of July, the opening day of the Women's Euros 2022. And joining me today, it's former Lioness Laura Bassett. Hi, are you okay? Whew. Yes, very good indeed. Woohoo! And women's football font of knowledge, author and academic Dr. Carrie Dunn is with us too. Her latest book, Unsuitable for Females, The Rise of the Lionesses and Women's Football in England, is out now. Hello, Carrie. Hello. Laura Bassett, though, has just come from Old Trafford. She's arrived back home through her door. It's late at night as we're recording this. And I've got to ask you first up, Bass, about the atmosphere. It looked incredible. Yeah, it was. It was. Um, I was there for six o'clock, so nice and early, just soak it all up. And just to see the ground slowly building up, um, I was lucky enough to go pitch side before kickoff. And I don't know, it was more like a festival atmosphere with the DJ you just couldn't hear anything. It was just good vibes, just wanted to join in. Getting, and then during the game, there was like loads of kids sitting next to me, like full on chanting. I mean, they were singing It's Coming Home, which I loved, but I was like, just just calm down. Calm, too, we, soon. You know, too soon. Yeah, too soon. But I loved the enthusiasm. It was, yeah, there was a few Mexican waves or quite a few and the, the torches. So it was actually more like a festival and concert, but um, with the, the torches coming out. But no, it was absolutely brilliant. I mean, what was it? 67,000. It 68,871. Yeah, it was fabulous. I'm glad I can say I was there. I was there at the open. All right. right. (laughs) Stuck at home in a spare bedroom in South London. Um, Dr. Carrie Dunn's at home as well. A a record-breaking attendance, Carrie. It was... I had serious FOMO. I have to admit, I was trying to text people for tickets to anything during the first half of this game because I felt so left out. Um, But uh, it looked incredible from where we were sat watching it on TV as well, didn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Incredible occasion to watch on television as well as being there in person, I would imagine. Yeah, it was nice to see the Mexican waves on television. It's significantly less annoying than having Mexican <laughs> waves by you in person, I thought. I thought it was really quite cute. I love a Mexican wave for for the first couple of times anyway. Uh, look, never mind about what happens in the stands. Time to talk about what happens on the pitch as England's Euros got off, well, to a nervy start. Kirby to Beth Mead. Is this the moment? Off the line. It's a goal. It's been given. Beth Mead blows the roof off Old Trafford. Unbelievable scenes. 
Beth Mead then the difference between England and Austria at Old Trafford. Her dink over Manuela Zinsberger was the only goal of the game. So it finished up, England won, Austria nil. Um, Laura Bassett, for you, I've actually felt like this was an appropriate start to a major tournament for England. And I'm almost glad, I don't know why I'm just saying this, I'm almost glad that it wasn't an absolute demolishing of Austria. Yeah, I mean, I would have taken a demolishing of Austria, to be honest. I would have been <laughs> riding those good vibes. But I understand what you mean. I think, look, the goal on, what was it, 15, 16 minutes felt like the perfect start, although we were nervy. I think that's expected to be a... I was saying that, you know, when the players came out for the warm-up, the, the start of the game, like you can't hear anything. You can't hear each other. You know, you could tell that they were struggling to communicate. And at that point when the, the crowd's pumping, the music's, your heart is just, the adre- you just can't stop that physical reaction. As much as you might think you're cool in the head and you've got it sorted and you're focused on your job, your heart and your body and your adrenaline are doing something else. So, you know, I think the start was fully understandable. I think then the goal came at the perfect time um, to really settle and, and being in the stand, I, I had no, at first I thought the ball hadn't crossed the line. It was all, um, I'm sure you had a better experience at home, but in the ground, yeah, it took ages for us to realise that it was clearly over the line. But yeah, and then then it still looked a bit ropey, didn't it? In the first half, there was a lot of mistakes, misplaced passes or turnovers. Um, but I do think the weather, it was it was windy. It was that drizzly, wet, soaking rain and I do think that affected that took the players I think for both teams a while to get used to the ball speed I think there were overhitting balls that were going out of play so I do think that as well they've been training in sunshine at St George's mm. Park in Manchester that, yesterday it, it, it also uh, to me Carrie feels like that was a bit of nerves as well and just to kind of clear up the goal issue so it did it did have to go to VAR UEFA said they were checking for offside and any other potential issues was the very yeah. efficient was it a bit odd carry it was very odd i thought i didn't i thought the ball was actually quite significantly over the line i didn't really think that ought to have been in question and it turns out that the referee's watch pinged or whatever it is they do with the goal line technology vibrate yeah it was very strange i didn't think there was any question of offside or any other potential issue the only thing i could think of was that they were just checking that the ball across the line but you know that was obvious to to the eye i would have thought that you know the assistant referee should have been able to see that so i don't know i was confused yeah the old better be safe than sorry i think i'll just throw in there um let's talk about though a slightly nervy england carry one thing i think that they did do is they kept their shape well, and that meant that Austria, were, who were excellent defensively, couldn't also be good in attack. I thought that that was to England's credit, actually. But I suppose it got the job done. I guess we just have to hope that it doesn't stay like this and that it's good to get this one done. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's the first game of the tournament. I think the result is more important than the performance at this point because we know how how well they can play. That that isn't that isn't in question. So it's just getting the first game nerves out of the way. There were kind of little glimmers of magic almost there. So there was a great run by Chloe Kelly, and the shot was just kind of really tame along the ground. It just had all the pace taken out of it. And Georgia Stanway made a couple of great runs. And he kind of got to the edge of the box, and then you know that kind of petered out as well. Um, Lauren Hemp was just not quite. In- kind of getting the right weight on some of her crosses in as well, which again might be the conditions. You know, the ideas were all there. Yeah, next time, two more matches in the group, all good. 
Mm. Let's just break it down a little with you, Bass, watching the game. Um, A couple of things I want to discuss. One is Frank Kirby and how we thought she did. The other one is Leah Williamson. She was she was centre back on the left side, wasn't she? And I don't know whether she looked entirely comfortable there, but I couldn't quite work out whether that was going to be a long term thing or kind of why she didn't look comfortable there. Yeah, so Frank Kirby, I thought that first of all it was a very attacking midfield that you know I was positive that that Serena went with um, to take the game to Austria it it kind of suggested that we were going to dominate the ball it certainly wasn't we didn't control the centre of the midfield as much as I thought we were going to I thought Frank Kirby linked up the well she she linked up the the team really well she finds those pockets really well and she turns so quickly and I think we saw a couple of overrun touches and you know that I think if the the grass isn't as wet it doesn't happen but I thought I thought she looked sharp. She got the assist. What a clever ball that was for Beth Mead to pick up. I mean, it's a, a really well-timed run from her. But, you know, those moments are magic. Who do you turn to? Frank Kirby. I think maybe defensively against Norway in that midfield, we maybe need a bit more mobility. Are we going to win the first and second balls? Are we going to disrupt their play? That's my only concern about it. But certainly for not tonight, it was job done. And I thought... You know, Frank Kirby, I think she took a knock on her foot, wasn't it? It was a stamp and she looked a bit uncomfortable after that. And I think, you know, the right time was for her to take her take her off, to be honest. And then with the Leah Williamson issue, yeah, I understand. I mean, I thought Millie Bright was excellent. Yes, she was could, good. She, could she have been cleaner on her clearances? Yes, of course. Could, you know, did, did they go exactly with the right height and distance and direction? No, perhaps not. But, you know, I think Austria put in some really well executed crosses and they could have been a lot dangerous if it wasn't for Millie Bright, who was at the heart of everything. So I'd have to watch the game again to exactly find out why. I know that some people have spoken about, well, if you flip Millie Millie Bright and Leah Williamson, but then would that take away from Millie Bright? Because in the first half especially, Millie Bright was our best ball-playing centre-half as well, hitting them diags perfectly to Lauren Hemp without, you know, if it, if it bounced it, it went out of play, didn't it, like what we've discussed. So... I'm not too sure what the, because then do you take Millie Bright's game away from you because the angles look differently in the passing lanes. So I don't know. I don't think sometimes maybe when we're presented with this problem, we don't have to change it. We don't have to change sides, no, change we everything. We just have to let her settle in. Yeah, yeah. Um, Carrie, um, come in on this one. Was there any concern there for you and also positionally and with other players in the side? You know, I thought Stanway and Walsh worked really, really well together. Was surprised to see... Stanway with the player of the match, I think I would have given that to Walsh myself. But give us your assessment of some of the players. Yeah, I'll just pick up on Kirby. I mean, I have to say I was quite surprised that she started, but um, I thought her first half wasn't bad at all. And yes, I think think you're right. That stamp on the foot seems to have uh, had an impact on on, on the rest of her performance. Um, Leah Williamson, I think I think she'll she'll settle into it again. I just think it was I think it was partly nerves. I remember she's the captain as well, leading leading the team in her first big tournament. You know, I think I think that will settle down. And um, yeah, I thought uh, Walsh and Stanway were excellent. I thought Hemp was so industrious. She always is, and I was kind of waiting for one of those uh, spectacular goals from her as well. But I'm sure that will come. Ellen White, I thought was I was a little bit disappointed. I thought she had several chances that maybe she should have done better with. Mm. But um, she was defended, really... wasn't she? 
She was. She was. I thought Austria were excellent, excellent defensively, so well organised. But yeah, I think we just you picking holes really. I thought it was a well organised performance, and as I say, that's what they needed to do tonight. Good subs as well. I thought it would have been would have been so good for Ella Toon, wouldn't it? I mean, the crowd must have been really behind her as well, coming on at Old Trafford. You know, and, you know Russo coming on as well. But they were good subs. Chloe Kelly coming on as well. And I thought they they injected energy. And that's one of Serena Wiegmann's, you know, real strong points with this team is that she has subs with the ability not just to inject energy, but also to try and change a game. And that might have been a little bit ambitious today, but we've seen, haven't we, in the build-up games, exactly how how useful her subs will be. So that 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 only opens up other opportunities for her. How do we feel about Austria? Defended well. Laura Bassett, where do we realistically, how do we see them doing in this group? I think you're right. I think, you know, a lot of plaudits. They can they can come away from the game with a lot of positives. It, it's always tough for, for a team to play the, the host nation, isn't it, with with a crowd and an atmosphere and an environment like this. But I think they'll struggle against Norway. I think, again, it'll be, I see maybe the same game plan going ahead and then probably beating Northern Ireland just because, you know, I think it could have easily... They kept the game competitive within the reach. Yes, England were wasteful with some chances, but it was still, you know, whenever England uh, defended poorly or Austria, you could just see that half chance. You could see that if they got into the rhythm or were, were allowed a little bit more time and respect with Dunst, I thought was very good. I think the, the midfield was very energetic, but I do think they're stronger than Northern Ireland and can see them consolidating that third space. I don't know why I'm giving so predictions after the first game, not even the first group. I asked but, you. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I just think, no, I think they can be really pleased. It was always going to be tough. Yeah. But I do think they have quality. Quick one for Mary Earps because it's her debut tournament, but she didn't, she didn't really have much to do, did she, Carrie? <laughs> not really, but what she did have to do when she was called on to do it, she'd kept her concentration and she didn't look nervous, didn't look shaky at all. I thought very solid performance from her. Let's have your player of the game or the player that you're interested in the most, if you see what I mean. It doesn't have to be the standout star. It might just be someone you want to give a mention to. For England, this is Laura Bassett. Yeah, I I just can't look past Millie Bright. I think we've seen those performances week in, week out for Chelsea. And in the league, they've made the difference, haven't they? You know, backs against the wall when Chelsea maybe shouldn't have won. It's been Millie Bright that's been there. She's like a brick wall before you even get to Mary, you know, or the keeper, before you even get to Mary Earps tonight. She's just there. And I just think that if it wasn't for her tonight, we would have found ourselves maybe in more difficult situation, especially from... I just think, you know, to have that rock at the back, if she can keep performing like this, we will always have a chance to win games. Yeah, and she'll be winning fans throughout the tournament with performances like that for sure. Carrie Dunn, what about you? Obviously, honourable mention to Millie Bright, but I knew the centre-half would talk about the centre-half. <laughs> All right, Carrie. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I think shout-out to, to Rachel Daly. She took a proper kicking out there as well. She really got herself stuck in, and obviously she's so versatile, and I think she'll prove to be really valuable throughout the tournament. I'm going to give a shout to Kira Walsh, and I've got some stats to back it up, thanks to Julianne Laurent, who's been tweeting 
Um, distribution for Kira Walsh tonight, 90% pass accuracy, uh, especially her diagonal passes, nine out of 10 accurate balls, um, accurate long balls. She made nine recoveries, two interceptions, created two chances, won six of her eight duels. So uh, she is my player of the match. Well, our Lindsay Hooper was also at Old Trafford tonight and she caught up with George Stanway and Leah Williamson after the game. Here she is with all the details. Post-match, let's start with the captain's thoughts, Leah Williamson. A very succinct answer she gave. It's a good day, but definitely could have been better. I think that pretty much sums up that England performance. Um, Georgia Stanway as well, uh, who was voted Visa's player of the match, um, she said that she felt that there was a lot of work still to do. Um, One of the things she said was that Austria were a really good side. They challenged them. Um, She said that England put up a good fight. We got the ball over the line, which is obviously the most important thing and literally she meant over the line obviously with VAR and that check Uh, but it just proves to us how far we've still got to push ourselves I thought what was really interesting is she said we've got to take it to the next gear hinting that maybe they were below par today we've got to be relentless we've got so much work to do Um, she did also speak about being on the training pitch and knowing that there was a lot that they wanted to focus on ahead of Norway you would expect that they would be tougher opposition to face Um, and just going back to Leah Williamson as well captain for England she obviously played a defensive role tonight that wasn't a problem. She said, that's my bread and butter. It's where I play week in, week out. And I've done for the last few seasons. So it's a natural adjustment for me to make, which I think we we expect from her. It probably is more Alex Greenwood we want to hear from after the season she's had, how well she's played in defence and that partnership that really has been blossoming between her and Millie Bright at centre-back pairing. It's probably more to ask her about how she felt being left out, but we don't have that question to ask, of course, because um, she wasn't doing any of the interviews today. Anyway, overall, I I think you've got to take away from this game that there is definitely a ruthlessness in front of goal that's absent at the minute, but lots of chances created, a really dominant period in the first half, um, and ultimately they've gone away happy. Lindsay Hooper at Old Trafford there. Talking of England, we've almost come up with the soundtrack already to this Euros team. Or should I say, producer Abby has come up with their soundtrack already in a fleeting moment of inspiration. Um, she's basically knocked up the England song. Uh, sh- should we have a listen? Hands to the left, me to the right, Ellen's up front, Millie's looking bright. They don't need introduction, follow Serena's instruction. Hand to the left, me to the right, Ellen's up front, Millie's looking bright. They don't need introduction, follow Serena's instruction. Uh, I think you'll agree. <laughs> well, Carrie, I know that you've heard it already. Uh, Laura Bassett, what do you make of it? Yeah, I mean, it had me bopping, so I was, yeah, I was invested. I think it could catch on. <laughs> Should we hear it again? Because it does it does take a second listen. Hand to the left, knee to the right, Ellen's up front, Millie's looking bright. They don't need introduction, follow Serena's instruction. Hand to the left, knee to the right, Ellen's up front, Millie's looking bright. They don't need introduction, follow Serena's instruction. I challenge anyone to not start singing, Hand to the left, me to the right. I sang uh, it to my dog all day. She... Yeah. Didn't like it, admittedly, but I did sing it to her all day. (laughs) 
as you may or may not know, Lindsay Hooper is romping around the Euros and uh, we hope to get that in front of an England player at some point very soon. If they don't adopt it, we're going to throw our toys out of the pram, possibly this podcast as well. But there we go. Well done, producer Abby. If you can get that uh, nitty little ditty out of your heads, congratulations. Uh, time to talk about the next game. You're listening to the Athletic Women's Football Podcast, Euro Edition. Coming up at eight o'clock on Thursday night. It's a big one as Northern Ireland take on Norway in Southampton. And earlier on, I got the Northern Irish line with Stuart McKinley, writer for the Belfast Telegraph and Sunday Life, who's been following the Northern Ireland team at the tournament. Evening to you, Stu. Good evening. Stu, I know you've just been at the press conference this evening. What are Kenny Shills and his team saying? They're all very positive. They're all quite excited to, to be here. This is unprecedented for, for Northern Ireland, as we all know. And it's an amazing achievement that a, a group of girls, which more than half the squad are part-time amateur players, have, have made it to this stage. So they're all they're all very excited, very positive. Um, and really the achievement is is being here. Anything else that comes now is, is a bonus. But Marissa Callaghan, the, the captain, is is telling us that she believes that these world-class strikers that Norway have in their team can be stopped. We we put down as an achievement the fact that Sarah McFadden um, stopped Ellen White from scoring in, in both the World Cup qualifiers against England. I definitely think stopping a player of that calibre from, from scoring is a feather in the cap. And they think that uh, they can do the same mm. against uh, Hegerberg and Caroline Graham Hansen <laughs> tomorrow night and maybe nick something at the other end and really cause a shock. You've got a fair bit of tough opposition there, really, haven't you? When we talk about Hegerberg, Caroline Gray and Hansen, Guru Wrighton, Torres Dottir, Blackstad as well, a whole a whole stellar team of stars there for Norway. What did Kenny Shields have to say about the way that the side are going to set up for that? And uh, are you expecting that Northern Ireland will think that they have an edge? They obviously met Norway in qualifying, but they lost both those games. In fact, those were the only two games that, the side lost in qualifying but will the side think that that experience does does give them a little bit extra here the the girls have all said and Kenny has said as well that you know even though maybe we wanted to go to this tournament and face different teams than, than, than we've faced recently that it is an advantage that we're facing a Norway team that we faced in qualification and then England and Austria who have just played as recently as April they think that's a, that's a good thing because they know the opposition, but I suppose the flip side of that is that they also know everything there is to know about Northern Ireland. But Kenny actually he said in in his press conference that nothing's going to change in terms of the way he approaches the game. He's I can actually read it, give you his quote here. He said, "No, we play as we are. This success has got us here." I said to the girls all the time that fear of failure is failure itself, and we work off that template. The main thing he said is we can't mess about with that in any shape or form. He says you have. If he starts to change, starts to you know give mixed messages to players, and they start to get confused as to oh, what I what am I supposed to do? It's not working off the plan that he started with, and that plan has got them this far. Yeah, how do they typically play Northern Ireland? It's quite a kind of a fluid shape, isn't it? Have you seen them do anything different for this for this tournament in terms of what we're to expect from them tomorrow? Oh, you're 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 exactly right. I've had. Um, we had discussions yesterday um, before the first press conference up at the training base and I had journalists from other countries asking me today what 
I thought the the expected team was going to be. I had to say, I don't really know because Kenny Kenny will put out something different that you're maybe not quite expecting. And he went with a he went with a three four three against Belgium in the friendly there a couple of weeks ago. It worked really really well. Now if you go back to the game at Wembley, it was totally different because he played what was effectively a five at the back and five in midfield without a striker because Simone McGill um, wasn't able to make that game. And in terms of how the country's getting behind this, are folks in Northern Ireland following this at all? I'm just wondering if we're going to have an equivalent of Will Griggs on fire from the 2016 Euros for the women's team this year, whether they're going to capture the nation's hearts. How much buzz is there? How much are the people in Northern Ireland following this? So you haven't heard the, the female equivalent of that, that, that Rachel Furness is on fire? <laughs> yes. Um, yes, that makes total sense. Yeah, the, the, the interest in, in, the, in the women's side of the game is, you know, even from 18 months ago, is unrecognisable. From that night that they, they beat Ukraine, the, the IFA tell me that there's so many more girls want to play the game. There's more girls' teams being set up on the back of that. If you go back to the start of the World Cup campaign, they played at Windsor Park for the first time in over a decade and got four and a half thousand in, which was a record at that time. You know, that, that was way beyond what any attendance had been at the Northern Ireland women's game before. And then they go they play at Windsor Park again against England and the crowds triple that. So that shows you the interest that there is when big events happen and when teams do well. And, you know, it, you know it's, I think it's human nature that people want to be attached to, to success. And uh, I'm really, really pleased for them that they've got this far and whatever happens, um, they've already achieved so much. Well, look, thank you so much uh, for speaking to us and I hope that we're going to be catching up with you again at some point as well. Best of luck to Northern Ireland then as they take on Norway. I'd be more than happy to speak to you next Thursday night before a game that's got something riding on it. Stuart McKinley there. Let's talk about Norway then, a team I'm really excited to see in this tournament. All eyes, of course, are going to be on Hegerberg. She's making her international tournament return. It's the first time we've seen her in action since Euro 2017. Are we going to be as excited as we think we are, Carrie Dunn? Yeah, I think absolutely. I don't think we, we can't not be. I mean, it's going to be an occasion having her back and, as you say, making her international tournament return. But she's also been in fantastic form when she's been in the Champions League. You know, she's obviously still at the peak of her powers. It's going to be wonderful to have her gracing the pitches here in England. What do we expect from Norway, Bass? I feel quite excited by them, um, as long as they don't do a complete number over England in this Group A. But with the kind of talent that they have on show, not just Hegerberg, but Caroline Graham Hansen, Goro Wrighton, Torres Dottir, Blackstad, it feels to me like they've got the personnel there to really make an impact, to really go far in this tournament. Yeah, that's right. And if you add in Marnham as well, Boarisa, the centre midfield, it feels like you know we're well, well accustomed. We know these Norwegian players well because either they're global stars or because they play in the WSL and we've seen them week in week out and and what they contribute to their club team. So yeah, it feels like I think you know I think there will be a rivalry. I think we've England have knocked them out of the last few tournaments as well. So I think they will have a bitter taste from that. They've got. I think also Norway will hold a lot of pressure on themselves because they've got a lot to prove. 
I think with in terms of how poorly they've performed in tournaments, um, just the noise around the last tournament, I don't think they were very happy with themselves. And with Ada Hegerberg coming back, I think there's maybe a bit of harmony back in camp. She does take a lot of pressure because of who she is, the profile she has. So maybe some of the other stars, not necessarily don't like that, but maybe can relax, concentrate on, on their game and let, so it's actually flip it into a positive and let Ada Hegerberg lead the way and take all the, the pressure and, and the media kind of stance from it. From Northern Ireland's point of view, Carrie, um, is there potentially a weak point here in Norway's defence? You've got the centre-back pairing of Mar Mielder and Maria Torres-Dottir. Um, I think the concern would be that Mielder has played so little football this season. Yeah, she, she is short of minutes in the legs. I mean... Obviously, she's a f- fantastic player, and you, you don't lose that from 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 being out through injury and uh, through not being picked or whatever. But um, I mean, it's going to be tough for Northern Ireland. Let's make no bones about it; they're going to be really up against it. But equally, I suppose they've got kind of an equivalent kind of mindset that Bass was just saying about for Norway. The pressure's not on them. No one's expecting them to do anything. No one's looking to them to blaze a trail through the tournament. So hopefully they can go out and enjoy it and play their football and hopefully spring a surprise or two. Just don't make Ingrid Engren angry, Carrie. That's our golden rule from the World Cup. We get to see angry Ingrid. Well, let's hope we don't get to see angry Ingrid Engren. But yeah, so many star names in that Norway team. And, and I'm really looking forward to seeing it all come together for them. You're listening to the Athletic Women's Football Podcast, Euros Edition with Kate Borsay. Let's just run through a little bit of news now. Um, the main story being that we won't get to see the Spanish megastar Alexia Puteas at this tournament. She's out with a ruptured ACL. It's a story we know all too well in women's football, isn't it? But Laura Bassett, what a loss to the tournament. Oh, it's huge. It's devastating for everyone. I mean, most importantly, it's devastating to that Spanish team, isn't it? We, you know, we have a lot of questions over there. For some reason, they're the bookies, bookies out and out favourites, which I think anyone following women's football is, is, finds that a bit strange because they're not Barcelona. And I know these comparisons have been made. Um, so we have a lot of question marks over them. But to lose your Ballon d'Or, the leader, the person who thrives in the spotlight, she drives the team. She connects everything. She's the go-to player to lose so soon to the to the opening game, you know, for Spain as well. I just think it's, yeah, gut-wrenching. I think, you know, a lot of things will change. It'll be, I think it'll take a while, you know, not a while, but a few days to to get over that. And then how do you change? So, you know, you, you might, there's, there's normally in, in a team, in a, in a team structure, there's a couple of places that are up for grabs, but you have that core and she's just the heartbeat, isn't there? There's no more words than a heartbeat to sum up her and the, her contribution. But also, I'm really gutted as a, a played against Lexia Proteus when she was many, many years ago when she was a younger, but not since a Ballon d'Or winner. And I was, I am, I'm personally really gutted not to see her, be able to see yeah. her live and, and see how she lights the pitch up. Was she always going to be a megastar, Bass, from when you played against her? Well, especially when 2013, when we thought we'd clawed it back and she ended up scoring scruffily from a corner. <laughs> I'm not. I'm over that now, Kate. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so she took really growing and experience and time. And then, you know, she really has been a product of the, of the Barcelona way, hasn't she? And, and, yeah, you never quite know how quickly potential is going to fulfil 
Um, but yeah, I think she was. She was always going to be such a big part. As Anne Odang pointed out on Twitter, it's been it's been a really terrible six weeks for ACL injuries. Ellie Carpenter, Katerina Macario, Kristen Press. Carrie, this is something that you've looked at because there has been quite a bit of research, some would say not enough research, into why um, women's players pick up so many ACL injuries and how that might relate to their bodies and to their monthly cycles as well. Yeah, I mean, I saw kind of all the reaction to, to Futeus's injury on Twitter as it was kind of unfolding and people are saying, we need to have more research, need to have more research. And I was thinking, well, the thing is, there is a truckload of research. The problem is, is no one is paying attention to it or if they are, very few people are paying enough attention to it. And from what I've looked at in terms of the literature review of it, the, the general consensus is that you know, when women are doing football training, and women ha- generally have less quad muscle mass, and the muscles in your quads are what keeps keeps your knee stable, so all the ligaments, everything there. So when you're twisting and turning on the pitch, men are going to generally have a more stable knee because they've got more muscle mass in the quad. And so the training load for a female footballer should be looking at keeping the knee stable. So building up the quad muscle, building up the calf muscle around it, just to make sure that your knee is staying as stable as possible. So that seems to be something that's generally agreed on. I'm not sure that necessarily training programs are being devised specifically for women's teams at all levels. I think also the increased training load of the rapid rise to professionalisation that we've seen in the game might not necessarily have been dealt with in the best possible way. I mean, I saw a a US journalist tweet about this. Um, There was a a quote from the Barcelona coach talking about the number of injuries and niggles that the Barcelona players had towards the end of the season because they'd been playing so many games, they'd been training so hard and their bodies were just giving out. So I think uh, obviously training alone needs to increase gradually. Unless, as you as, as you mentioned, Kate, um, menstrual cycle needs to be taken account of for every individual, looking at the way that the body changes, how individual players feel. It all needs to be kept such you know such careful figures, such careful tracking needs to happen. And I don't know, it's 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 a long term thing. I mean, it's nothing we're going to like wave a magic wand and get this all fixed, but. The knowledge is there. I mean, obviously, we can always get more information and always get more research and you know, get a sounder grounding in all this knowledge. We just need to make sure that it's rolled out and everyone's taking taking notice of it. You can't just you know pick out a training manual off the shelf and go, here you are, this is how you're going to train your women's team. Things need to be taken into account and individuals need to be taken into account, possibly more than in the men's game. Mm. Uh, Laura just picking up with you very very quickly it feels like this is this is one area with with such an ever evolving such a such a quick developing really um progress within the women's game that this is one area perhaps that 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 maybe hasn't been taken seriously enough the the, the game has evolved too quickly too quickly almost for people to be to be really taking note of this we're just perhaps accepting ACL injuries without without doing enough to prevent them or is that is that unfair um, yeah I think I think a lot of players I speak to at their club level especially are, are, are doing things to try and prevent things you know loads of prehab exercises routines because at the end of the day now clubs are paying either a lot of money in wages to these players and although I don't like using commodities but actually 
by losing a player to an ACL injury or any kind of injury, you know, you're worsening your chances of success and winning mm, games. We're so, losing uh, them for seven to nine months, if not, well, if not more, right? Exactly. So clubs have a responsibility to really invest in research, in menstrual cycle and all the, all the, you know, just be up to date on the, you know, can, I don't know how it works, but can the FA, can we be more collaborative instead of, I know we want to have the competitive winning edge, but, you know, surely there's some kind of research bank that we can all, from clubs and sports scientists and physio and medics all tap into. But yeah, and also responsibility does lie with a player. If you're being told to do these prehab exercises to make sure that your knees are lining right and your muscles, you know, you've got to do as much as they're boring and you want to go straight on the pitch and bang balls around and ping balls, of course you do. You know, it does take responsibility. It's boring, but that's why people refer to Ellen White as the ultimate professional because the amount of exercises that you give her, she will do them thoroughly the amount of sets and reps and that's kind of the good role modeling that, that you need to have but she's probably learned by having ACL injuries. Yeah I wonder whether with this kind of push towards professionalization that we've had I wonder whether there needs to be kind of long-term research from the girls going in at kind of academy level and then kind of following them through to kind of the top of the game because I wonder whether the girls who've, who are pros now whether you needed to start building that quad mass at an earlier age when you're kind of 11, 12, 13, rather than when you're a fully grown adult. I wonder whether that's something that needs to be looked at. That's Maybe. just the top, top of my head. We will put it in our manifesto, Carrie Dunn. We certainly will. Um, listen, uh, we are rapidly heading to the end of this podcast. Um, before we go, though, I think it's about time that we got our hopeometer out. And the hopeometer will tell us where you are at the moment. On the scale of one to ten, with your hope for what England can achieve in this tournament, there's been a big build-up. I'm sure you'll agree, <laughs> not just in what I've just said. So out comes the hopeometer. <whistles> Laura Bassett, where are you on the hopeometer? Come to me first. Oh, uh, I'm going solid six point two. <laughs> I don't know where I've clawed that from. Solid, solid. Go. Yeah. 6.2. But there's room to close. That's why I'm leaving. Carrie Dunn, where are you on the hopeometer? Oh, I'm an optimist, Kate. I'm going for 7.5. Oh, I'm not telling you where I am on the hopeometer. It's not you my job. You have to. Now you've said it, you have to say on the hopeometer, which I can Currently, say. Currently, on this day, Wednesday, the 6th of July, the very beginning of the Euros tournament, I am at 6.9. On the hopeometer. There we go. What a stellar <laughs> way to finish this show. That's all we've got time for on today's The Athletic Women's Football Podcast Euro Edition. Thanks to Carrie, to Laura, to Stuart, and to producer Abby. Most of all, though, thank you for listening. Don't forget to follow or subscribe to the Athletic Women's Football Podcast Euro Edition. Make sure you keep telling your friends and family about us too. But for now, it's goodbye from us, and there's only one way to leave you. Hemp to the left, me to the right, Ellen's up front. Minnie's looking bright, they don't need introduction. Follow Serena's instruction. Hemp to the left, me to the right, Ellen's up front. Minnie's looking bright, they don't need introduction. Follow Serena's instruction. The Athletic.